Now, I don't know how many times on this stage in the last two days I said, I think we're in for a volatile decade, but I don't care because I think longer term and long term, I am bullish human ingenuity and progress. And if you're long human ingenuity and progress, then you're long copper. And we're going to talk about that today. So let's begin from the top down, thinking through the macro side of copper, right? What strikes you as most significant right now when you look at either the renewable energy trend? We talk a lot in the West about the EV trend. You could dial it back and look at global events, as Rick Rule was saying 30 minutes ago. We can focus on Tesla for copper demand, or we can look at the fact that there's still 1 billion people in the world who don't have any electricity and another 2 billion that have intermittent access. And that's what we should be focusing on, the bigger picture. But I want to put it over to my panelists. What strikes you guys as significant? Warren, I'll start with you and then work down the line. Actually, sorry, before we do that, could we do rapid fire intros? I forgot that part. Really quick, 30 seconds or less, who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Warren Irwin. I'm the uh, President and Chief Investment Officer, Rosso Asset Management. My name is Ivan Bebek, President and CEO of Copernico Metals, uh, aggressive explorationist looking for the world's largest copper deposits. Paul Harris, America's editor, Mining Journal. My name is Jamie Keach. Uh, I'm the founder of the Resource Insider Newsletter and the chairman of Vita Carbon. That was tight and crisp. That's never happened before. It's usually like a 20-minute event. All right, Warren, starting with you, macro picture, what's catching your attention right now in terms of copper demand? Or not? Tell me about it. You know, everybody's talking about battery metals, uh, and battery technology over the next number of years is going to change. The, st the stuff that makes batteries now, frankly, in 10 years' time won't be, won't be in batteries, as in... You know, certain items like, in my opinion, cobalt will be replaced. They'll minimize a lot of the really expensive materials. The one consistent that's difficult to replace throughout the electrical cycle is copper. So I'm pretty positive on copper for the electrification of the world. The other thing too, just recently, as you're aware, Jap uh, you've seen out of Japan, uh, defense spending, spending globally is starting to ramp up. So we've got the double whammy of electrification of the world and defense spending. Metals are going to be in big demand here coming, coming forward. Yeah, that's interesting. Defense spending is not something we've heard on this stage over the last two days, so you might want to dig into that later. But Ivan, over to you. Yeah, sure. Um, I don't think the world was ready for the EV integration and the modernization that's going on. And I don't think they looked at the mining market. I'm an explorationist, and to find mines that could make a difference, high-quality mines is next to very, very extremely difficult. You got to go in tough places. Um, the movement in the ESG world, which we certainly support, has slowed things down. So anything you find is going to take between 12 to 20 years to come online if it's substantial and of, of high quality. So it's a slower path. It's harder to find. And we got caught flat-footed with the EV world. And lastly, you know, it's always been China, but now the rest of the world has jumped on board with the climate infrastructure all governments are around. So it's a global demand now, not just China that's driving it. So I think, you know, for the rest of my lifetime and everybody in this room, we're going to see copper perform continuously as it has today. And, uh, you know, I've, I remember the late David Lowell had a chart showing it go to $50 a pound in 100 years or so, and we're on his curve, and it's been bang on. So we're not there yet, but it's going to keep going up. And to, Eric's, or to, to Warren's point, it's got more uses. It's going to be consistent. You can't replace it. $50 a pound. Just for context, when we had Ross Beattie on stage this morning, 
he rolled up his copper assets, what was that, 20 years ago, at about a dollar per pound when he built Lumina Copper. It's amazing, okay. So just before that, sorry, one last point on that. I entered the business of copper was 59 cents a pound, and there was 5 billion people on the planet. There's now eight, and it's $4 and change per pound. So that's the, that's the return that's coming. Love that. Okay, Paul, over to you. Look, I agree with what both of these guys have said. Um, in addition, you know, sooner or later, half of Ukraine needs to be rebuilt. That's going to need a lot of copper. Um, as Warren mentioned, defense spending. All the Western nations have been donating military supplies and material to Ukraine. They've been working through their stockpiles and inventories. That's all going to be replaced with more modern stuff. And more modern stuff means more communications or equipment that has more communications capacity or ability, and that, again, is copper. So uh, very, very uh, bullish there. And Jamie, over to you. Well, so on the demand side, you've basically got two things, right? You've got ESG, the electrification movement, and then you've got urbanization. And an interesting sort of stat on urbanization is that currently in India, uh, it's about, I think, 34% of people live in urban areas. That's expected to get to 52% uh, over the next 20 years. That movement of people represents a population the size of the entire United States. So you've basically got something on the order of 300 million people that are going to be urbanized over the next couple decades, right? So that's going to drive a tremendous amount of demand. So many of these people don't have access to, as you noted earlier, any electricity or intermittent energy. So you've got that on one side. And then when you look at like, I actually find really interesting the supply side because it's something like the world's top largest, the ter world's top 10 largest copper mines, uh, the average age is 95 years old, right? So they're getting deeper every year. They're getting lower grade every year. They're getting more expensive to mine every single year. And most of those are located in Chile and Peru uh, areas that are, I guess, shall we say, increasingly volatile from a political and social perspective. And so what actually scares me most is probably the demand or the supply because, and it, it really comes down to, I think, how mining companies are incentivized right now. Like, we have lower stockpiles of copper uh, than any time in the last five years, despite that we've been in a largely bear market for the last sort of 13 years. And that's very unusual. Normally you'd see in a, in a bear market, you'd see stockpiles growing and growing and growing. And then as demand starts to come on, it's sort of easing, you ease through that, that stockpile before prices move. And we haven't really seen that right now. And I think if you look at it, you kind of look at the demands, it's driven by the demands of shareholders on mining companies. because. All the guys that are CEOs right now, uh, they saw their predecessors get fired back in 2013, 2012, because they were hugely, hugely focused on growth, right? And now they've shifted that to cash flow for shareholders. Uh, and they're, they're chronically under-investing in mining projects, in copper and gold and everything else. And a really cool, not cool, really scary, actually, antidotal example is Rio. So. In the early 2000s, Rio was investing something like 80 to 90% of its free capital into investments, into new projects or existing projects. Today, that number is less than 20%. And something like 60% is returned to shareholders, either in the, firm, firm, in the form of dividends or share buybacks. So 
that shift of driving money into new projects, into development, into improved operation is, is gone from that to basically rewarding shareholders in the short term with a you know, two to five year outlook, but no one's thinking ahead till 2030 when production massively, massively falls off a cliff. So to me, it's like the supply dynamics that like irrespective of the EV revolution or anything else, like we're gonna be in major, major trouble. So how do, we, how do we rectify that, right? What needs to occur for supply to be incentivized enough, right? And then what's the time horizon for that mine build and the supply to make it to market? And, you know, was, I think in Davos last week, on the back of their climate goals, they were forecasting a need for an additional 20% production, so a 20% increase annually to hit their climate goals. Uh, we're moving the other direction. So what's it going to take to cause that shift on the supply side? Easy one, higher prices. So on the supply side, some of the bottlenecks I see would be, um, we need higher prices to incentivize um, exploration. And the mining industry is remarkably resilient. And with entrepreneurs like my good friend Ivan here, we'll go out and find the world's as, as much uh, copper as you want. But then the next bottleneck, of course, we find it. Then we have to, of course, build it. And um, those costs are going up every year. And then we need to smelt it in a lot of instances. And I'm concerned even like smelter capacity. When's the last time a smelter has been permitted in North America to smelt copper? Like it's, there's a whole, things will have to go right through the whole supply chain. But it starts with us finding more copper and getting it built. And the mining industry is incredibly entrepreneurial, resilient, and... Um, we will find the copper. We just need higher prices. Anything you'd add to that, Ivan? Yeah, I just think that he's hit it on the head, but the time, the gap between finding it and building it is not going to solve any near-term problems, which puts those prices right in the crosshairs. It's, it's going to be a really painful gap. Everything's going to inflate against it. Real estate's going to inflate coppers and pipes and electricity in everyone's houses. So prepare for a lot of inflation, a lot of pain, a lot of pain. But if you do have an investment, and I'll be biased here, into a copper discovery, it's becoming the new precious industrial metal is kind of how it looks, right? And it's going to have an importance that's becoming equivalent to some of the more attractive metals such as gold, silver. And so I, I think that the biggest thing we're facing is time. Time is not going to satisfy it. A critic in New York came to me once and said, but, and I know this might be brought up here, there's a lot of low-grade copper mines that you could just turn back on. Um, turning on a mine is not easy. It's in a copper mine is a major undertaking. Building them costs billions of dollars. A lot of them are remote that are low grade. And the time to socially get those mines up and running in a responsible manner this day and age, it's not a light switch. It will take time no matter what the price of copper is and everyone's going to want their cut. So from the exploration and mining business side of things, it's a slow process. Everything is slow about copper except for how I think the price is going to perform in the coming years. Paul, anything to add there? Adding on to that, um, defining a copper ore body, you're looking at 10 to 20 years. Permitting it, you're looking at another perhaps 10 to 20 years. I think in Arizona now, the average time is at least 12 years. So there is no quick supply response, no matter what the price is. Um, higher prices does potentially give existing mines the opportunity to lower the cutoff grade and bring in additional resources. Right. But that means higher throughput, which may mean you need bigger size mills, things of that nature, which means your, their demand for energy, for water, 
will increase is, and there's challenges there. Ivan mentioned uh, you know, the social and regulatory aspects. Those things will be increasingly challenging for mines that have a bigger demand for such things. Jamie, anything you'd bolt on to that? I would just say it's, like, it's impossible, right? Like, there is no hitting the EV targets. It's impossible. So, like, to hit them, we would have to double copper output from, I think it's 25 million tons per annum to 50 million tons per annum by 2035. So, over the last 20 years, we increased copper output by 7 million tons per annum. So, it's never happened before. Um, to hit those targets, we need to mine more copper by 2050 than every pound of copper that's ever been mined in human history. Right. So, there's no chance, there's zero chance we're gonna hit those targets, it's not gonna happen. Um, it would be the most inflationary event in human history, I think. So, we're not gonna do it, but I think there's gonna be a lot of people that try very hard and the price is gonna rise astronomically. It's like, it's, it's like I'm like, I'm happy, like Ivan, I own a lot of copper, but like it's gonna be very problematic for humanity, I think. Okay, now let's, uh, let's give our audience some counsel on how to build a copper portfolio. You're looking for some exposure, right? Do you factor in geopolitical risk? Do you factor in grade and scale? Do you factor in management? What are you looking at? And Warren, I'll start with you and work down the line. If you're building a, a copper portfolio, I'd recommend, you know, if you're going to stratify it different ways, I'd, I'd have all the majors, like the free ports of the world, the mid-tiers, uh, mid-tiers developers and some, some juniors, like you just have to stratify it. Um, where is the sweet spot? Well, for a high aggressive my, guy myself, um, a recent example is I got involved in the Solgold discovery in Ecuador probably six years ago. And um, that's been a real big winner for me and we're trying to sell it now to the, uh, to the to, I can't say who it is, but we're trying to sell it now. And um, that'll, that'll be a big win for, for our portfolio. And uh, going forward, I think the trend for copper is so big that uh, a nice diversified portfolio of copper projects, you know, I think would serve you very, very well. Ivan, I know you're all in on Copernico, but uh, where are you looking right now? Yeah, so Copernico and Torque, which I think is up all over the place here as well. Torque has uh, Santa Cecilia as a, a 900 meter intercept of close to half percent copper gold in a, in a very robust area in Chile. Uh, ranks as one of the, the premier exploration targets that gets drilled in, in March of this year to see if we can put together the, the multi-billion ton opportunity. And then Sombrero is a project in Copernico. Uh, I've been after it for seven years, spent $18 million to get to where I'm sitting today. 5% um, of the project has an analog to Las Bambas, and that's the ninth largest copper producing mine in the world. It has very mature lines of evidence. It's been looked at by several majors around the world, and the validation of the opportunity is really high. The other 95% of the ground that we own, about 500 square miles, is equally as prospective. And we're not trying to repeat the analog of Las Bombas. We're trying to repeat the analog of a trend that could have multiple opportunities like that. So that's why I spent almost a decade and almost $20 million going after that. Um, I like risk a lot, a lot more than most people in this industry, and I'm extremely persistent and perseverance individual that will, will weather it, no matter what critics I take along the way, because the longer I've worked on this goal, with our group has worked on this goal, the better the copper price, the copper market is getting. Jamie said there's no solution. Warren, as well as uh, Paul here, in the short term, we've, we've all validated that. If we can find 
something that makes the top 10 in the world. That's the scale we're looking for. And we're going to have more than one opportunity that can deliver that. So I like exposure. I like that initial discovery curve. That's the hockey stick, as we'd say in Canada, the return on investment. And if we look at things, the majors have to be dialed in before you drill your first hole. And we've certainly get garnished their attention. But uh, again, social has been the challenge. Peru's gone through some major turmoil recently. Our biggest advancements in our effort has improved considerably with the president being impeached. And now we sit with the near-term completion of an access agreement and Peru is going the right way. When you look at South America, Chile, you look at uh, Peru, Ecuador, these countries are relying on the base metals as their commodity and their GDP to drive their country forward. The politicians will change, but the metals and the rocks will never change. It's an old adage in our business. So if you're patient, you have staying power, tenacity and persistence and perseverance, you can bring something to table that you may be lucky to see once in your lifetime, and that's the kind of swings I'm taking and we're taking. Ivan, can you set my audience up with like one, two, three tips when they're pouring over copper opportunities? You know, how can they validate an opportunity? What should they look for? What's the low-hanging fruit for a retail investor to look at an opportunity and say it's got to take one, two, three boxes? I think the, the scale has to be there. Half a billion tons of half percent is very common amongst several majors as a trigger pull of interest. If you can go up in grade or up in scale, that's going to be substantial. Um, copper has a major footprint. These mines we're talking about 20, 30 years to come online. So you got to look at the, the company's behavior socially. How much are they investing into the social aspect before they even know what they have? Because that can derail a project considerably. And thirdly, pick a management team who has been successful before that is capable to raise the capital because capital is precious, even in good markets, and managing that appropriately. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Paul, over to you. I think um, there's opportunities for investors across the risk profile. You know, the, the wobble in the markets last year saw the, the major copper producers come down, some of them sort of 25, 50%. They're far from being fully valued. So uh, for people that are perhaps risk averse, some of the, the major copper producers and diversified still represent good investment opportunities, given that, um, you know, as we all agree, the copper price is going to go much higher. Um, you've got development stage projects that um, are very much needed and in demand and are likely to get funded at some point when they reach that point in their development. And of course, there's the earlier stage opportunities which have the perhaps the maximum talk for opportunity. Um, again, there's not many copper projects at any stage out there. So what's a very early stage copper project today as it matures and develops and advances will come into demand. Um, and I think um, the, the only sort of caution I would put onto that is be aware and look at local risk because the risk profile varies greatly from country to country and within countries. So for example, copper projects in Arizona in the United States, a lot of those, Arizona's a very good jurisdiction. Not all parts of Arizona, but in general, yes. However, we've seen Minnesota, Alaska, projects in those jurisdictions have been challenged and face a lot of challenge from federal and state agencies. Um, Chile, the political risk profile in Chile wobbled over the last year, but that's really coming back on stream in a, in a positive way. The government or, or has realized that it, uh, it can't be too crazy, can't be too left. It's come very much 
back to the center. It realizes that copper is the national salary, if you like, and it's started offering incentives to encourage even more mining investment. Copper is the national salary of Chile. I like that. The sueldo de Chile. Jamie, over to you. Yeah, so I think there's actually, and this is a rare case where there's actually a specifically best way to do this. So, okay, we're in an inflationary environment. Everyone can agree on that. Does people think, do people think we're going to stay in an inflationary environment? I do. So, historically in an inflationary environment, energy outperforms everything. Number two tends to be copper, right? So you want copper exposure. And so it might be easy to think, okay, well, I'm just going to buy some copper miners. It's going to be great. But the problem, the reason copper performs so well in an inflationary environment is because it gets a lot more expensive to mine copper, right? Your, your number one input on most mines is diesel costs, for example. So it gets more and more expensive. It gets harder to find the right people in this environment. You're, you know, you have a hard time buying tires for your drill, for your trucks, all sorts of things. So I think the way to do it, and the way I have done it, is I'm invested in known assets, assets with a resource estimate that are of scale, but still need to be expanded and have a high chance of being taken out in a bull market, right? So you're not risking um, escalating operating costs to the same degree you are in an operating mine. What you're, what you're want exposure to is a known asset that will get a significant re-rating in an escalating price environment. Like this is the Lumina story, right? This is what Ross Beatty did. He wrapped up a bunch of known assets. Copper was worth more. He sold them for a lot of money. He made a lot of money. The end. So for me, uh, I've got three assets. <laughs> that might be an oversimplification, but that's the idea, right? And so I've got three companies, uh, Meridian Mining in Brazil, MCC Mining in Colombia, and um, Calista Cobre, uh, which is a private company in Peru right now. Uh, and MCC is private as well. Uh, I like the private companies because I don't think there's any value for a mining company right now to be publicly listed in these markets. It's challenging, it's expensive, you're uh, suffering the whims of the market, but that's just me. But I think that asset stage is really where the biggest multiples on, on investment will be made in a strong copper environment. All right, look, I want to thank you all for joining me on stage today, getting in front of my audience. Let's give them a round of applause. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.